Federico, if you were to believe the line from a lot of the mainstream capitalist press in Australia and, of course, elsewhere in the world, it would seem that Venezuela is on the brink of a popular revolt, being led by the opposition leader, uh, Mr. Guarido. Is there any truth to this? Is there a popular revolt unfolding, uh, unfolding in Venezuela? Or is there something perhaps much more sinister going on? I think uh, really to understand the events that have occurred in Venezuela over the last month, it's important to give just a very brief historical background of the events leading up to this because the events of Venezuela today are largely described as a result of a somewhat of a constitutional crisis uh, created by supposedly illegitimate elections that therefore mean Maduro is not the president and that, that in that context the National Assembly has stepped forward to announce its own president uh, and using that as a, as a stepping stone to create this, as I said, this situation of crisis of who is the legitimate president in, in Venezuela today. So in order to really understand what has occurred, we really need to at least go back uh, to the end of 2017, where both sides of politics, uh, both the uh, government and the opposition parties, were involved in a dialogue process being mediated by former Spanish President Zapatero. That dialogue process got to the point where an agreement had been reached between all forces to go towards early elections in 2018 to elect a president. Now, the presidential, the constitution mandated that elections should be held in 2018, but traditionally they are held towards the end of the year. The idea was that because the opposition wanted to push forward those elections, the government agreed and they would be held in the first half of the year. Now, on the day when those documents were meant to be signed, the opposition pulled out and said that they would no longer comply with that agreement. Uh, the response of Zapatero, as the you know, in, in the, in, as a uh, mediator of these discussions, was to publicly come out and say, "Look, this is a real disappointment. So much had progress had been made. We're not sure why the opposition has pulled out, but hinted that obviously outside pressure had encouraged." these Venezuelan opposition forces to withdraw from the table. In response, the government said, well, we will go to early elections anyway. That is what the opposition wanted. That is something that we agreed to. We will continue to abide by, by that. And so in May of last year, there were elections. When those elections were held, the opposition decided that they would boycott those elections. And in a concerted campaign to delegitimise those elections, uh, went around the world essentially lobbying different organisations to not send observers. Most perhaps importantly, the United Nations, which is an organisation that would regularly send observers uh, to elections, uh, but they convinced the United Nations to not send observers. So what we had then was an elections where the majority of the opposition uh, were boycotting, but, but not all, because there were at least four other opposition candidates who stood, two of which would withdraw in the race, but others that went all the way to, to the end and participated in those elections. We had a concerted campaign by the opposition to delegitimise these, irrespective of whatever the result was. Uh, but what we saw at the end was that an election that were held, an elections in which Maduro was re-elected, with our overall participation rate circling about the 46%, which in comparison to most other South American countries or the US is roughly what, what you would get in terms of participation, uh, and where Maduro himself received over 60, 65% of the vote uh, for president. The opposition candidates 
whilst they made criticisms of the way that the electoral campaign occurred, all accepted that the result declared by the National Electoral Council was a valid result. That is, it accurately reflected the votes that their witnesses, their observers, had tallied in each of the voting booths because all candidates have the right to have two witnesses in every polling booth and get to see a register of how many votes are counted and compare that with uh, paper ballots that are printed off from the electronic voting system. So there was no, no, no evidence whatsoever uh, from any of the participating parties, including the opposition parties, to indicate that that vote was fraudulent. Um, and so we had this situation. Maduro was re-elected, but internationally the campaign had already begun, spearheaded uh, by the opposition to delegitimise uh, the, the election. So the question was, well, what would happen then in January when Maduro was then to be sworn in for the new term? And what we've seen is a campaign to, based on that previous delegitimisation, where the opposition refused to actually compete in the elections and instead preferred to basically say, well, these elections don't count, using that to essentially as a stepping stone to uh, have Juan Guaido, the president of the National Assembly, claim to have a constitutional mandate to name himself as president because as a result of so-called illegitimate elections, there was no current president uh, in, in Venezuela. That's really, I think, the, the, the important background to understand what is, what is occurring today uh, in, in Venezuela. Certainly, uh, Federico. Now, today that, uh, I guess, that international um, pressure, you, you might want to call it, uh, has bef- definitely stepped up with European nations uh, set to recognise Juan Guido as uh, Venezuela's leader. Uh, before, I guess, we talk a bit about, uh, you know, I guess, historical influence or perhaps uh, the US's role in in all of this, can you can you tell us a bit about uh, Guerrero? Uh, where like there has been a significant uh, demonstration, and no one can really deny that from uh, people, uh, seemingly predominantly, I guess, the more middle class elements of Venezuelan society. But who exactly is Juan Guido, and and what elements does he represent within Venezuelan society? Uh, Juan Guaido is a politician who was largely unknown even within Venezuela and certainly outside of Venezuela up until these most recent events. Uh, he's a National Assembly deputy. Uh, he's also one of the founders together with Leopoldo Lopez, one of the more well-known uh, opposition leaders who's currently under house arrest uh, for his involvement in a string of violent protests, a week-long, weeks-long violent protests uh, that occurred in uh, 2014. Uh, that party is called the Popular Will Party, and is a is a party that is largely being associated with the more radical, what you could deem to be certainly at least right, if not far right, of the of the Venezuelan opposition, a party that's been counterposed to the more moderate sections of the opposition, led by uh, figures such as Enrique Capriles, uh, who ran against Maduro and Chavez in. 2012, 2013, or Henry Falcon, who participated in last year's elections and who have very much wanted the opposition to pursue a strategy that combined participating in elections, particularly as they had received, uh, achieved notable uh, uh, results by participating in elections, uh, and also believing that the best way for the opposition to really uh, win the majority support in the country was to be actual to actually represent present, sorry, uh, actual proposals to the country of how to get out of the crisis. Popular will has been associated with the more radical wing, which has basically taken taking the approach of the Maduro government and everything about it is illegitimate. We do not respect any of it. 
we're not interested at this point in time in presenting our alternative proposals or having any kind of dialogue. For us, the more the more chaos, the more crisis, uh, the more pressure we build, uh, the more better for us to be able to remove the, the Maduro government. So he he essentially represents that wing. And to I, I guess to go back to your first question then about what's behind this, it, he also represents the wing that has been most closely aligned uh, with, with, with US foreign policy towards Venezuela because when we look at the most recent events, all the evidence indicates that this is not just some uh, you know, movement by the opposition to try and come up with some democratic sort of alternative to, to what they deem to be an illegitimate presidency. Rather, what all the evidence indicates is that this is largely being promoted by the US, who has told Guaido and the Popular Will Party, you put yourself up as the so-called constitutional president, and let us do the rest. And so what we've seen is that in recent days, we've seen other opposition leaders clearly come out and say, look, firstly, we told Guaido, don't do this. You don't have the internal balance of forces to actually make this a reality, and you only risk possible reprisals from the government. These, these same politicians, including people like uh, Enrique Capriles, have said when he finally did decide to announce himself as interim president on January 23, we were completely taken by surprise. We did not expect that he would do that. And many of the opposition leaders did not expect that he would do that. But the people who did know that he would do that, and we know this because of what the Spanish foreign minister has said, is the United States, because the Spanish foreign minister has said that the day before January 23, they received a phone call from the US saying, be prepared because something important is going to happen in Venezuela tomorrow, but we can't tell you what. And within minutes of Guaido declaring himself president, once again, the Trump administration was on the phone to, to the Spanish government saying, right, now you must come out and recognise this government. So it's very clear that what we have is, uh, in this, and this is not to ignore any of the pro protests that have been occurring against the Maduro government, and I'm, I'm happy to go into more detail about that, but we must understand that the, the, these most recent protests uh, are really the secondary factor to what is occurring in Venezuela today. Instead, what we have today is the US having said to popular will and to Guaido, you set up a puppet, you know, essentially what can only be described as a puppet government in Venezuela, and then we will use that as a springboard to go internationally to recollect support for that and to use that as a pressure point to essentially bring down uh, the Maduro government. And that's really how what, what we're seeing today is that the, largely the the battle for what happens in Venezuela tomorrow is being played out on the international sphere where governments are being pressured to come out on one side or the other. Uh, media campaign is being presented as though the international community supports Guaido, even though everywhere that the US has put a resolution uh, to get uh, international bodies like the Organization of American States or the United Nations to recognise Guaido, in all of those cases, those resolutions have been voted down. But we see a media campaign and and the U.S. saying, look, this is this is the government, this is the only one legitimate representative, and if you, and as the U.S. has said, you know, touch Guaido, touch our government, and then that's a trigger point for us to escalate things in a context where they've already said that military intervention is is not off the table. Now, of course, uh, Central South America has a long history of U.S. Uh, intervention and colonialism and invasion. Venezuela it, itself, in, in very recent years, has had a, a lot of experience of that. Of course, in uh, 2002, with the attempted coup with Hugo Chavez in power, they managed to, to fight off that coup. But of course, there is that long history of, of an attempted invasion. What, why specifically do you think the, the U.S.? 
though, would be supporting to uh, to overthrow this current government right now in Venezuela? Why is it strategically important for Trump and for the U.S. administration to to have a, a change of regime in Venezuela right now? Uh, I, I think there's. I think you could point to three three things that the U.S. administration are looking at when they when they look at Venezuela. Um, and, and as you rightly point out, this, this intervention is, is nothing new. I mean, the, the, the U.S., although they were the only government at the time in 2013, also didn't recognise those elections. Um, the difference then was you know, the world recognised that Maduro had fairly won. But you know, what, what we've just seen is by Trump is really a continuation of what began un, under the Barack Obama regime. But what, what, is, what does the U.S. see as, it's, uh, as when it looks at Venezuela? It sees three things. Obviously, one of the world's largest oil reserves. There's no denying that. But you don't have to believe me. U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton has been on you know, Fox News uh, repeatedly saying, look, there's no doubt that it will be great for the U.S. economy and for U.S. corporations if we can get our hands on, on Venezuelan oil. So that's, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just what they're, what they're publicly stating about Venezuela. But I, w- I would say I think that there are two other uh, possible things that are, that are at play here. I think for the real hawks that are in, in, the, in the Trump administration, the, the same ones in, in some cases that were there in the George W. Bush administration when we look at you know, John Bolton, um, or others like Elliot, Abraham, uh, Elliot Abrams, you know, who date back to the, to the Iran-Contra days when they were supporting the mass slaughter of, of peasants in the countryside in, in Central American countries and involved in illegal activities uh, in order to fund um, you know, basic, basically paramilitaries that were um, you know, carrying out, or death squads that were carrying out uh, murders. Um, what, the, what this group of people, in particular Trump, sees, uh, what they believe to be a very weak government, that they can very quickly move in and out of Venezuela and change the situation to their benefit and demonstrate a different type of U.S. intervention. You know, Trump has always said that the problem is that, you know, with the, you know, although he was described as a non-interventionist president, that was never really the case. What, what he disagreed with when it came to things like the Iraq war was that he felt that the U.S. would go in and spend so much time and so much money supposedly rebuilding the country and, and in the end get nothing out of it. Well, he wants to show a different kind of intervention, one where basically... Uh, very quickly in short, sharp time, the U.S. goes in, goes out, takes what it wants, which is in this case the Venezuelan oil, and, and, leaves, and, and leaves the country and you know, no longer worries about what, what happens in, in that country. They believe that they can achieve this in Venezuela. I think that's going to be very hard, but obviously uh, time will tell. I think the third aspect to this, which is not only just the motivation force behind the Trump administration, but a lot of the, the media misinformation campaign that's occurring with Venezuela, uh, is also that they see this as a as a an ideological or a political victory against uh, any any political force or government uh, or political party that says, "Hey, look, we can actually do something different to the status quo." Uh, this is why we see such an emphasis on painting Venezuela as this complete basket case, as you know, uh, that, that that nothing works in in in, in this country. Because really what's motivating is, is, is this idea, well, look, you, know, you, you try and fiddle around with the free market, you end up like Venezuela. Uh, and that's what they hope to also score, I think, here is, a, is an ideological victory um, in, in that regard, a, a sort of a, a, a message to anyone and everyone. Um, see, we were right when we said that there's no alternative. Um, and if you step out of line... And if you do try and do something different, you will end up like Venezuela. So I think this is also what, what, what is motivating. Um, we've got a fourth, aspe- a fourth aspect, which is, you know, and this is 
an element that is becoming uh, open in the last few days, which is the, the U.S. administration's already talking about Venezuela essentially as a springboard to attack what it calls, you know, Cuban and Iranian influence over the region. So we also see how they're already trying to use this to then attack uh, other, you know, so-called enemies of, of the United States. But um, you know, I, I, I think the first three are really what what it's looking at. It's looking at oil. Um, it's looking at showing a different type of U.S. interventionism from what we've seen in, in recent years. And the third one of, of scoring a, a political tree in terms of uh, you, you, you can't do anything except, except the rules of the free market. Now, Federico, when uh, Chavez came to power in Venezuela, it was really heralded by much of the left, particularly the socialist left, as an opportunity for a, a revigoration of socialism. Of course, now that it, that it's been, you know, almost I guess uh, twenty years on from that from that point, it's a much different situation. And despite uh, everything you're saying there in terms of U.S. intervention, colonialism, and imperialism, it has to be admitted that uh, Maduro is a lot unlike uh, Hugo Chavez and at least in terms of his uh, popular support and in terms of some of the actual socialist policies in the country, uh, Venezuela's economy is, is of course, uh, in in a very dire state. And it's it's estimated that uh, millions of people have actually left the country. I mean, even according to the UN, some 3 million people have fled the country since 2015. And, you know, no matter all the criticism of US intervention, some criticism has to be leveled at the, uh, the Venezuelan administration in its current form, at least. But what what do you think has, and this is a huge question, but of course, but what do you think has really occurred since the, the death of Hugo Chavez and, and Maduro taking power? What, what, has co- what has occurred to cause such a decline in, uh, I guess, you know, the, the socialist policies and in the, uh, the potential for, uh, for socialism in Venezuela? Um, look, I, I think a number of factors have occurred. Um, some of them independent of whatever political decisions the Maduro government may or may not have done. Um, so when I say that, I, I say, for instance, that we can already see some traces of the problems that exist today predating Maduro's election in 2013. For instance, some of the economic problems were already beginning, um, largely because of the, the world economic crisis, which you know almost every country in the world was impacted to, to, to one or another extent. And in Venezuela's case, that was duly linked to the beginning of the decline of the oil prices, something that would then you know, get even worse uh, once once Maduro was, was in power. Another factor that has made the situation more complicated for Maduro as opposed to Chavez was that if one traces the support for the opposition, um, we actually see that the opposition, even under Chavez, was already in uh, to make important inroads into being able to build support. And this was, going back to what I'd mentioned before, this was largely when the opposition was uh, more influenced by the moderate sectors. Um, and so what we saw was they were eating in into some of Chavez's support, in the, at least electoral support, and as a result were able to begin to win governorships in large cities. Um, they, In the prior National Assembly elections, not the elections to elect the current one, but in the prior one, even though they lost substantially in terms of the seats in parliament, the actual vote itself was you know, roughly 50-50. So, so you already began to see um, you know, uh, the, the, under Chavez that, that support um, being eroded um, because of the consistent and patient work of the moderate opposition, um, one which it then threw away in, in, in the, in, in to, to a certain extent as it then became more radical once Maduro was, was re-elected. 
But then turning to, well, what about what about the Maduro government? I think there is no doubt in my mind, 2013 was an absolutely key year um, in terms of having to have taken decisive actions that would have not, I'm saying, uh, uh, resolved all of Venezuela's economic problems, but certainly not have allowed them to get to this point. And unfortunately, those decisions were not made. Um, would they have been made if Chavez was still uh, alive at that time? Uh, possibly. Possibly Chavez would have had the authority to make some measures that in some cases would have perhaps not been extremely popular, um, but that ones that because of his popularity and his ability to explain them may have allowed the government to move ahead with them. And these are things like, for instance, the huge, huge subsidy um, that the government does to uh, pays every year to subsidising, you know, basically the cheapest oil in the world uh, in Venezuela. You know, massive amounts of money uh, that go towards, you know, this, this subsidy for providing essentially free oil uh, to to its residents, which could have easily have been, you know, if not completely eliminated, certainly, you know, uh, reduced. Dealing with the problem of the currency controls, what we've seen again was also that it was necessary to tackle that that issue. Um, where we have in Venezuela is that most of the U.S. dollars coming to the country via the state oil company PDVSA, um, the state has control of those dollars, and then it is up to the, the state to re, to give out those dollars. In the sense of private companies who want access to U.S. dollars to import have to basically apply to the state. Now the state was doing that at a very, again, at a very subsidised, you know, you know, at a very subsidised rate. It was wasn't really reflective of the actual value of, of the local currency. And what it meant was that rather than incentivising production in Venezuela, really what it incentivised was importation and also, it must be said, to a, to a, to a certain level, essential theft or corruption where people would apply for dollars, um, get those dollars, and rather than spend them for what they said they would do, which is import them, just simply sell those dollars back on, on the black market and make a much bigger profit than they would do by importing importing anything. So... They didn't deal with those problems in 2013. The Maduro government showed any real leadership or lack of leadership or perhaps inability to come up with policies as the, as the crisis deepened. The only thing it could really do, it felt, at least in that context, was to get more loans and essentially put itself in, in, in bigger economic problems with the hope that oil prices would rise and get the economy out of there. Um, but what it faced then is that a real, another crucial turning point was essentially 2017, where having basically put all its eggs in the basket of hoping that the rise in the oil prices would fix all of Venezuela's economic problems, debatable whether it would have, but the problem was that even though the price of oil did start to increase in 2017, two important factors happened in those in, 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 around that time. First was that PDVSA started to face important problems in terms of oil production. So even if the price was going up, they were producing less. And it was when the US sanctions began, making it almost impossible for the PDVSA state oil company to begin to deal with its own internal problems of increasing production. And so that's only just further aggravated the situation over the next few years to create the, the, you know, the, the real huge economic crisis we have in Venezuela, which should be added is, is only going to get you know, to a devastatingly worse level um, should these new round of sanctions that the US has begun to impose on, on Venezuela start to really hit. Um, and, you know, and in the context where the US is unsuccessful in removing the Maduro government and continues to either at least maintain those sanctions or even further escalate, I mean, we, we could see a, a, an economy that will, you know, essentially probably take 
decades really to, to sort of you know, be, able, be able to recover from, from that situation. Just finally, uh, Federico, unless something quite remarkable happens, it seems quite likely that Juan Guado will be uh, appointed the new leader of, of Venezuela and it may indeed herald, at least for a time, an end of the Bolivarian, I guess, revolution or process in Venezuela. Throughout uh, Latin America, we've uh, recently seen a significant shift to the right, or if not the far right, with the election of people such as uh, Bolsonaro in uh, Brazil and, and elsewhere. It, it really feels as though socialism in Central and South America is, uh, at least for now, on the decline. This is, you know, obviously you don't have a crystal ball and we, we, we cannot uh, predict what's going to happen in the, in the near or in definitely not the distant future. But uh, do, you, do you feel that this is, uh, I guess, indicative of a shift to the right in, in this region and uh, that perhaps it may herald a, a period of time where uh, neoliberalism and the far right once again uh, gain control of Central and South America? Yeah, look, just, just very firstly, I, you know, I, I, I think at the moment, certainly if we look at what's occurring eternally in Venezuela, there is very little indications that the, the attempted, you know, which is, you can only describe it as a coup, the attempted coup by, led by Juan Guaido will be successful. Um, ultimately, really for it to be successful, the key factor would be a, a shift, you know, of, of the, the military um, over from its current uh, support for the constitutionally elected president of Maduro over to Guaido, and there doesn't seem to be any indications that that would happen. Of course, other variables are open to, to, to occurring. A fracture in the military, which could essentially open the way to a civil war. Um, a, a, a negotiated path towards new elections that see someone else elected as president. Other, other variables are, are there, but I don't think at the moment the most likely outcome, given what's occurring inside Venezuela, is a, is a shift towards uh, uh, Guaido. Um, I think no doubt were... Guaido to win, or you know, his current coup attempt to be successful, it would be arguably the final nail in the coffin for what has already been a shift towards the right in the region. One that's, you know, there, there are exceptions to that rule, and, and you know, we see that one of the most important governments at the moment playing a very good role in what's occurring in Venezuela, being the Mexican government, where only just this year, the centre-left president. Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador was was inaugurated, and you know he's been really leading the charge uh, of saying, look, we you know we must respect the national sovereignty of other countries. That the only way forward is you know uh, negotiations, dialogue without any preconditions. And I think it's been a real real break on the ability of of the U.S. to 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 really you know totally push forward uh, with its with its plans for Venezuela. So there are exceptions to the rule, but we've seen essentially in the last three, four years, you know, a number of right-wing governments uh, elected, particularly in the larger countries, Brazil, uh, Argentina, um, you know, being, being possibly the two most important ones if we look at South America. Why, why do I think the, the, the Guaido coup could, you know, be arguably be described as the final nail in the coffin uh, for, for, the, for this sort of string of left forces, centre-left forces that have emerged in the recent period? Because I think it's very clear, if we understand, you know, how this coup attempt comes about, which is essentially one orchestrated directly from from Washington. Um, and we already begin to see what both Washington and Guaido are talking about, which is if they are successful in their coup, firstly, Guaido has said at least for six to nine months, there will be no elections in Venezuela. Uh, so that is, we have six to nine months of an interim government that has already begun negotiations of how it's going to begin to 
move towards privatising the state oil company, how it's going to begin to, under the context of the humanitarian and economic crisis, sign uh, agreements with the International Monetary Fund that will indebt the nation uh, to the IMF. And we all know about the conditions that come with IMF loans for, for, if not years, decades to come, all of which will mean that by the time any elections are held in Venezuela, and who knows when they would be held, because let's be honest, if Guaido's coup is successful, most of the media's attention or interest in Venezuela will go away. There, there won't be any scrutiny to see what occurs uh, after, after the coup is successful or to see if even he complies with the constitution, which says that even if he was the interim president, as he claims to be, he has to call elections within 30 days, and he's already said he won't. But no, no media outlet is even bothering to question and say, well, hang on, what, why aren't you abiding by the constitution if you claim you're doing all of this in the name of the constitution? Well, we'll see, you know, what the, that commonly referred to, you know, a term the, of disaster capitalism brought brought into Venezuela, all under the guise of having to fix, you know, and the, uh, the, the the worst, you know, as they describe it, the worst economic crisis in the in, in the world. Um, partially true, partially exaggerated. Um, we'll send a clear message as well to, for instance, governments like Jair Bolsonaro, um, uh, an ideological fascist. I'm not saying that. The government in Brazil is fascist, but the head of that government is a fascist and has already indicated that he's not particularly that concerned about the constitution or human rights. If he sees this occurring in, in Venezuela, no doubt this will be further ammunition for governments like his and for other far-right forces that are beginning to uh, pop their heads up in the poll. And we see, for instance, now in Chile, although elections are still away, another far-right figure now leading in the polls there, one who openly identifies with the, with the Pinochet regime. Um, the, the military dictatorship of Pinochet. No doubt all of these will see this as, as, as a uh, amused Venezuela excuse of why we need to essentially eliminate, wipe out, ban, jail the left uh, to avoid any of our countries becoming like, like Venezuela. I think that is a, a, a very likely outcome should this coup be ahead, should then the, the media propaganda war and the, the US triumphalism um, after this um, you know, be, be really pushed along. Um, it's, it's certainly the message that, that other far right uh, or you know uh, right wing forces in, in the region would get. Uh, now is the time to eliminate what, what vestiges there is of, of, of the left forces that you know basically have built up considerable authority over the last decade or two. In many cases, were in government. Uh, today, perhaps are not in government, but continue to be significant political forces in a context where 20 years ago. You know, elections were largely between the right and, and the right, or the centre and the right. Today, still in this, in this difficult context, most elections are, are largely between uh, right of some description versus centre-left to, to left of, of some description. I think their aim is to go back to the old system where nothing, nothing exists to the left of the centre, uh, certainly not as a viable uh, governmental alternative uh, in, in the region. Federico Fentes, thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. You're not a problem. Cool, thanks, Simon.